Thursday. We never even got to finish Tuesday because of all the incredible prophecy teaching that Jesus did to help the Jews know how to live during the Great Tribulation. But now we pick up today with the preparation for the Passover. And I'm going to read it to you, the passage from Luke, because it's the longest one. All right, so we'll read the passage in Luke today. Luke 22, beginning with verse 7. Then came the day of unleavened bread, at which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. So Jesus sent Peter and John, saying, Go and prepare the Passover for us, that we may eat of it. And they said to him, Where will you have us prepare it? He said, Behold, when you enter the city, a man carrying a water jar, a jar of water, will meet you. Now, this is significant. Now, why? Why would that be significant? Because in Jesus' day, men did not carry water jars. Only women carried the water jars. But where Jesus had chosen to celebrate this Last Supper, as we call it, was in the Essene community. Now, the Essene was a very spiritual group of people. They had taken vows of celibacy. So these men were unmarried, so they did not have wives. So they had to carry the water. So these were, these were all celibate men. But this was a very safe place for Jesus. The reason being is they weren't part of the corruption. These men were not part of the Judaistic religion's corruption of Jesus' day. They weren't part of the Sanhedrin. They weren't part of the religious establishment. They weren't part of the Pharisees. They weren't part of the Sadducees. They weren't part of the Herodians. They were the Essene community. And really, these are the people who, from whom we get what's called the Qumran Scrolls today, that when we take you to the Israel Museum, the, the, the Museum of the Bible, you, you see the Essene Scrolls. These were scrolls that these men had written. So these were very devoutly spiritual people. Remember, God has always had a remnant. Follow him into the house that he enters and tell the master of the house, the teacher says to you, where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room, furnished, prepare it there. And they went in and found it just as he had told them, and they prepared the Passover. Now, part of the preparation of the Passover is the food, but part of it is this room had to be no leaven. All this room had to be a room where all the leaven, all the yeast had been taken out of it and had been cleansed of any leaven because there could be no leaven in a room where Passover meal was celebrated. So part of it was preparation of the food, but part of it was the preparation of the room. Now we pick up the Passover meal, Luke 22, beginning with verse 14. And when the hour came, he reclined at table. Now, every year I show you a picture of, of how they would have sat. They did not sit at the Last Supper like you know, Leonardo da Vinci's beautiful painting of the Last Supper. We, we have a beautiful wood carving that we show you every year. And this is how they would have reclined at table. They would have a pillow under their left arm, under their side, and they would lean on the elbow of their left arm, their legs laid out behind them, and they would eat like this with their right hand. That's why John the Beloved could lean back on Jesus' chest. And that's why Judas, who was at his back, could dip in the same cup with Jesus. Now, I always find that fascinating because I read you on Tuesday, that's when Judas had already entered. I mean, that's when Satan had already entered into Judas. Jesus was never afraid of Satan. So when he reclines at the table, remember that. Judas is at his back. 
Satan possessed. Hmm. And Jesus isn't afraid to give him his back. See, Jesus is Lord. Always has been, always will be in every circumstance. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Verse 24, a dispute arose among them as to which one was considered the greatest. <laughs> this is the 12. So here they are arguing at the Last Supper, who's greatest? These are the 12 apostles. Now, sometimes, please forgive me. Don't, don't be upset with me about this. Sometimes as Christians, you think that pastors are perfect, that the men and women of God are perfect. You know what? They're still a work in progress, just like you are. The apostles were a work in progress, just like you are. And these apostles were sitting around arguing who's the greatest, who's had more miracles, who's done more. <laughs> and he said to them, to the twelve, at the Last Supper, <laughs> the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and those in authority are called benefactors. Not so with you. Rather, let the greatest among you become as the youngest, and the leader as the one who serves. For who is greater, the one who reclines at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who reclines at the table? But I am among you as one who serves. Jesus said, please, I'm the only begotten son of God. I raised the dead. I cleanse the lepers. And I am among you as one who serves. Now, you say, Pastor, but he was reclining at the table right then. Yes, he was. <laughs> but there's a lot more to it than that. He said, you are those who have stayed with me in my trials. Wow. Staying power. You know, one of the things you find is that a lot of people don't have staying power. Now, you just need to meditate on that. Everybody else walked away, but these guys stuck with Jesus. These guys stuck with him. He said, you have stayed with me in my trials. And he said, and I assign to you, as my father assigned me, a kingdom, that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on the thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. Wow. The future of the 12. The future of the 12. In the millennial reign, they will rule the 12 tribes of Israel. Amazing. Now, notice the whole context here. Jesus notices the apostles arguing who's the greatest. He tells them, I'm among you as one who serves. He says, listen, you, you have to understand this principle. And now he, now he demonstrates it. And you know, sometimes you teach people things with words, and sometimes you teach people things with the demonstration that they will never forget, now begins the demonstration. John 13, beginning with verse 1. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, and he loved them to the end. 
During the supper, when the devil had already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. All right, already. All right, so the washing of the feet is there already. Satan has put this in his heart. Knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands. So that's number one. And that he had come from God. And number three, and was going back to God. This is the source of confidence to serve. He rose from supper, laid aside his outer garments, and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Now, brothers and sisters, please, I want you to notice this. He has reclined. He's had a beautiful supper. Okay? Because of the work of the Father in his heart, because he knew that the Father had given all things into his hand, because he knew where he came from and he knew where he was going, he now has confidence to serve. Now, now brothers and sisters, you will never have the confidence to serve and take the lowest position if you don't know those three things. Now, you, you just need to sit down and meditate on that some today. Some of you, your insecurity has a cause. Okay, your insecurity has a cause. And what you need to do is figure out who you are in God, where you have come from and where you're going. Now, when you get a revelation of this from the Father, it doesn't bother you to take the lowest position anymore. It doesn't bother you. I, I love the illustration in Ghana. Do you know what they do in their churches in Ghana? And I know this sounds horribly offensive to some of you. The higher your position in society, the lower your position in service in church. They take the doctors and the lawyers, and they're the ones, and wealthy businessmen, and they're the ones that keep the toilets clean on Sunday. Hmm. Huh. <laughs> the wealthy businessmen, the architects, the engineers, the doctors, the lawyers, the politicians, they're the ones that are assigned toilet cleaning duty on Sunday to keep the toilets clean for the people because there's large crowds of people. How can those people in Ghana do that? Because they know who they are in Christ. They know where they've come from and they know where they're going. <laughs> now, I want you to notice, he takes off his outer garment, wraps a towel around his waist, pours water into a basin, and began to wash the disciples' feet. Now, forgive me, that's like cleaning a toilet. That, that's a horrible thing to do. People have been walking around in the camel dung and the, 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 the mule and the donkey manure and... You know, everything, because there was no running toilets in those days. So you filled up a pot and threw it into the street every morning. So, you know, when you enter somebody's home, the lowest slave's position was to wash your feet. Jesus took the position of the lowest slave to wash all that ugh, off of the disciples' feet. And to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. That was wrapped around him him. He came to Simon Peter who said, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, what I'm doing, you do not understand now, but afterwards you will understand. So there are some, some things 
you understand later. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet also, but my hands and my head. And Jesus said to him, the one who has bathed need does not need to wash except his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. Now, let's just stop here. And you are clean. Let's, let's park there for a minute. These men were saved by faith in the promised Messiah. They were in the promised Christ. They were saved in the same way Abraham was saved and Moses was saved and David was saved. Now later, it'll become new covenant salvation. Okay, And, and later, the Holy Spirit will come into them, not on them, that's the baptism, but into them. As he breathes on them and said, receive you the Holy Spirit. He said, but they were clean. They're clean. They're, they're clean spiritually because of faith in the Messiah to come. But I want you to notice a principle here. He said, you need your feet washed. As believers, we are forgiven. As believers, we are forgiven. Amen? The blood of Jesus has washed away all of our sins. We believe that. But you know, walking around in the world every day... Yeah, we pick up some stuff. And that's why we come every day and ask for daily forgiveness. That's why, like the Apostle John says, if we say we have no sin, the truth of God is not in us, and we make God out to be a liar. That, that's why, as Christians, we still repent, and we still every day, Father, forgive me. Forgive my trespasses. Forgive my sins as I have forgiven those who sinned against me. That's why we pray that in the Lord's Prayer. This is the daily foot washing. He said, but not every one of you. He said, now, now Judas, Judas is different. At one point, Judas had been a part of them. But at this point, remember, he is possessed by Satan. He has turned his back on faith in Jesus. And he is actually possessed by Satan. There's no more miracles that are going to flow through Judas. Sorry. I mean, this, this, there's no more gospel that flows through this man. We always look at him and go, well, you know, how could a, 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 a man of God become Satan-possessed? Well, he, he turned his back on Jesus. In that correction in Bethany, in that correction in Bethany, Judas changed. That's why on Tuesday night, Satan came into him. Judas's heart changed. Just He just changed when he couldn't steal that money. And when Jesus corrected him and he figured out Jesus knows what's going on, his heart changed and Satan entered into him. So you're, you're not talking about Jesus saying Judas was saved. He's not. And when he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I've done for you? He said, you call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought also to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. He said, I've given you an example. You can make a little list in your Bible. Here's another list. Examples. 
that's a big list, by the way, that you should do just as I have done to you. Truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger. Greater is the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. He said, listen, you, you have to understand, as a student, you're not greater than your master. Your master has given you an example of service. As a messenger, you're, you're not greater than the one who sent the message. But the one who sent the message gave you an example. He said, no, blessed are you if you do them. All right, so let's practice service. Maybe when we get back together. Some of you big shots. <laughs> you talk about setting an example for the church. Some of you big shot businessmen, some of you lawyers, some of you doctors, when we get back in church again, maybe you should walk up to me and say, Pastor, we're not going to hire a cleaning company to keep the toilets clean anymore. I want to live the example of Jesus before my family, before my friends. I want to come in and spend an hour every Sunday cleaning the toilets while the people are using them. I want to spend an hour every Sunday just serving in the lowest position. See, I'm a funny person. I believe this. Many, many years ago, many, many years ago, there were some pastors wanting to cause us trouble in the church, some assistant pastors. And they were saying all kinds of things. And one of the members walked up to me one day and said, you know, Pastor Summerall, you know the reason why I don't believe them and why I choose to follow your leadership in this church? I said, no, why? He said, because I watched them in the CR. And in those days, it was just a, a little building built where the serenity is now. He said, I watched them go in, leave water all over the floor, do everything, and just walk out and leave the floor a muddy mess. They don't even care. He said, you're on your way in to preach and you stop in the CR every Sunday morning before you go in to preach before every service. I said, yeah. He said, and after you finish, he said, you reach behind the door and get the mop and you clean the floor. You mop the floor in the whole men's bathroom every Sunday morning before you go preach. He said, you think people don't see you, but he said, I've seen you. Now, brothers and sisters, I just believe if you take the lowest position, God will bless you. It doesn't matter if people see you. God will bless you. Ah. Verse 18, he said, I'm not, I, am, I am not speaking to all of you. I know whom I have chosen. But the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread and lift, has lifted up his heel against me. <laughs> Judas with Satan inside. I am telling you this now, before it takes place, that when it does, you may believe that I am he. All right, so he's, he predicts the betrayal. Verse 20, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me. And whoever receives the one who sent me receives the one who sent me. Now, the one I send the one who sent me. Now, I want you to notice there. 
when you receive me as a pastor sent by Jesus, you receive Jesus. And when you receive Jesus, you receive the Father who sent Jesus. See, part of, of, part of spiritual growth is learning to receive the people that God has placed in your life and not receive the people that God did not place in your life. Now, you, know, you go back to Revelation and you see in the, the seven churches that they knew how to examine those who claimed to be apostles but were not. Part of this is, if, and it's not so much spiritual discernment as it is looking at real fruit. Like, where is, where is kingdom fruit? Where are souls? Where is progress for the kingdom? Hmm. And then making decisions on that. After saying these things, Jesus was troubled in his spirit and testified, truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. And the disciples looked at one another, uncertain of what he had spoken. One of the disciples whom Jesus loved was reclining at the table at Jesus' side. This is John the Beloved. And he leans back under Jesus' chest. So Simon Peter motioned to him to ask Jesus whom he's speaking. So the disciple, leaning back against Jesus, said to him, Lord, who is it? And Jesus answered, it is he to whom I will give this morsel of bread when I have dipped it. And so when he had dipped the morsel, he leans over like this, leaning on the shoulder, and he hands it over to Judas. That's why we know Judas was sitting at his back. And he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. After he had taken the morsel, Satan entered him. Now, you look at this and you go, now, wait a minute. I thought Satan entered on Tuesday. He did. But you see, one of the things you have to understand, demons can pop in and out of people. See, we always think that demons go into a person and then they stay there until they're cast out. Sometimes that is true. But other times you have to understand, especially a powerful demon like Satan, he's not going to just stay there. He, he's going to get done what he needs to get done, force that person to do what he wants them to do, and then he's going to leave and come back when there's more work to be done. So here is again Judas, possessed by Satan, at that very moment at Jesus' back. That's fascinating. No one at the table knew why he said this to him. He said, what you are to do, do quickly. Some thought it was because Judas Iscariot had the money bag and Jesus was telling him, buy what we need for the feast or that he should give something to the poor. So after receiving the morsel of bread, he immediately went out and it was night. So this is Thursday night. We are getting ready for the arrest of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. It was night. All right, so they had their meal. It's dark. It's night. Let's take a break and I'll spend a little bit more time in worship. Healer in the house today. There's a healer in the house today. 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 Heal
sick or you're feeling lonely, I have good news to bring. For this healer, his name is Jesus, and he is the king of all things. He rides on the winds of the sea, and there is healing in his wings. So take the road of doubt and the faith come out, cause there's a healer in the house today. There's a healer in the house, he wants to make a Make a way. Just ask and believe by faith. Receive healer in the house today. He is a healer in the house today. And for you, he wants to make a way. Just ask and believe by faith. Receive healer in the house today. Just ask and believe by faith. As we continue our readings from Thursday, there's something I need to explain. Just before we took our worship break, the scripture says in verse 30 there, and it was night. Now, this is extremely, extremely important. You have to understand, otherwise you're going to get really confused by the chronology of Holy Week, how the Jews understood a day. The Jews go back to Genesis, and it was evening and morning the first day, evening and morning the second day. For Jews, a day does not start at midnight. In fact, there's really no fixed amount of time in one day in, in rabbinical literature. Sunset was the beginning of a new day. Sunset ended today. The day went from sunset to sunset, not midnight to midnight. Now, sometimes when you try to read the Bible and you add this Western concept of midnight to midnight, a 24-hour day, you're, you're going to get yourself a little confused. For the Jews, a day began at sunset and a day ended at sunset. And for them, a piece of a day was considered a day. Now, we'll see how that works out as we move through the rest of, of our readings today and especially tomorrow and how could Jesus have been in the grave for three days? They didn't put him in there until Friday. So he spent part of Friday, all of Saturday, and then some of, of Sunday morning. A part of a day is a whole day. Ah. All right, let's pick up. We're going to start this time in, let's read Luke this time. 
Now we see the Lord's Supper. Now it's interesting. Judas with Satan is gone before communion. Okay? He's gone before communion. Fascinating. Luke 22, beginning with verse 17. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he said to them, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you, from now on, I will not drink the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And notice it is one cup. A cup. The way they celebrated it was one cup, and everybody drank from the same cup. Oh, Pastor, how unsanitary. <laughs> these, these were very close friends. For I tell you, from now on, I will not drink the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took the bread, and when he'd given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup after they had eaten, saying, This cup is poured out for you, is the new covenant in my blood. And I, I want you to notice something. <laughs> The cup once, the bread once, and the cup a second time. Now, now, sometimes you look at that and you go, "Ah, should we have? Should we drink the cup twice?" I mean, that is what Jesus instituted. Well, when you come over here to Paul, Paul lays it all out for us in First Corinthians eleven, verses twenty-three to twenty-six. And he said, all right, first you take the bread and then you do the cup. So I said, all right, first we do the bread and then we do the cup. So that clears up our confusion. Paul teaches us exactly how we are to participate in communion. Now we begin to see a few more events and a little bit more teaching that happens in the upper room. It's dark. They've already had communion. Now, beginning with verse 31, to a person Jesus has just served communion to. Now, remember the, the sequence. To a person Jesus has washed his feet and served communion to. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you, that he might sift you like wheat. And I've preached a lot about that later, lately, so I don't need to bring it up more. But I have prayed for you. I love that. I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Now, we've taught that for week after week after week during all of these lockdown things. Peter said to him, Lord, I'm ready to go with you both to prison and to death. And Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day until you deny three times that you know me. And he said to him, when I sent you out with no money bag or knapsack or sandals, did you did you lack anything? And they said nothing. Now notice, when I sent you out with nothing. Now Jesus, how could you do that? Jesus, how, how could you mistreat somebody like that? You, you sent them out to minister with nothing. But you know, the apostles turned out pretty well. And in one generation, they changed the world. You know, sometimes... Sometimes I think we've made it too easy on this new generation. When Sister Bev and I came to the Philippines, we landed with $300 in our pocket and that was it. No support, nothing. You know, it's amazing. If you learn to live by faith for yourself, you can have faith for a church 
Ah, but see, if you can't even have faith for yourself, if, if you have to have an entitled mentality and everybody has to give you so much, how can you have faith to grow a church? How can you have faith for people's healings? How can you have faith to buy land and build an altar for God on the earth? See, these apostles, Jesus sent them out with nothing. Nothing. No support. When we send branch pastors out, they, they get support every month. Wow. Some of our branch churches we've been supporting for years. Wow. Jesus didn't do that. And maybe we need to look at a new young generation and say, you know what? You're going to have to learn faith. And there's only one way to learn faith. And that's to go out with nothing and learn to fast and pray and believe God. And when you can do that, then you can grow a church. Hmm. He said to them, but now let the one who has a money bag take it. And likewise, a knapsack. Why? They've already learned faith. They've already learned faith in the easy time. When Jesus was popular, when the miracles were flowing, they learned faith in the easy time. He said, but now this is the hard time. He said, now let the one who has the money bag. This is after his crucifixion. This is in time of persecution. He said, let the one who has a money bag take it and likewise a knapsack. And let the one who has no sword sell his cloak and buy one, buy a sword. You know, guys always say, Pastor, is it all right for me to buy a gun? Well, Jesus said to go buy a, buy a sword. I guess so. For I tell you, this scripture must be fulfilled in me. And he was numbered with the transgressors. In other words, he was going to die in between the thieves. For what is written about me has its fulfillment. And they said, Lord, Lord, here are two swords. And he said to them, it's enough. Okay, how many do you, you don't need to collect 500 things, okay? Two swords, that's enough. Now, as we've gone through this passage in Luke 22, there's a few passages that are added to it in John about the son being glorified and the father glorified in the son, uh, the beautiful passage about little children, yet in a little while I'm with you and you'll seek me. And he said, I say to you where I'm going, you cannot come. A new commandment that I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. Peter said, Lord, where are you going that we can't follow? And he, then he lays all that out. So there's a lot of teaching that takes place. Now, for the sake of time, I'm going to skip over this next passage, but you're going to read it later on today. This is John chapter 1, beginning with verse 31. This is a sermon that Jesus preaches in the upper room all about the comforter coming. And that is like 25 sermons in this passage. This whole passage here in John is about the coming of the Holy Spirit. And he teaches that to them. As he said, he's just told them, I'm going to die and I'm going to leave you. He says, so I want you to understand that you're not going to be an orphan. The Holy Spirit will be with you. So read all of that. And then we get into John 15. And again, we are in this incredible sermon on the vine, and the branches apart from me. You can bear no fruit. All of that abiding in him, all of these things. Uh, all of that is taught. This, this is the great, for lack of a better term, this is the great John 14. 
books. It's just not enough time. John 14 and 15, the last supper sermon. Now, I sometimes laugh about that and go, okay, <laughs> Jesus fed them a meal. Now he's going to preach them a sermon. Young people, just like sometimes your parents, after you eat, they give you a sermon, or at least my daddy used to do me that way. Um, it's biblical, all right? Now, so we go John 14, John 15, all of this incredible sermon is taking place. You can read that great sermon. Now, in John 16, things begin to change, beginning with verse 5. Now, I want you to notice one verse here earlier. I won't be able to find it now. But it says, then they went out. Now, then they go out, and now we are on the way to Gethsemane. So this is what I would call a walking sermon. Okay? They're no longer inside the upper room. They're walking toward Gethsemane. Now, please remember with me, if, um, let's say, this is the Essene quarter over here, Temple Mount would be here. The Essing Quarter would be here. They would come through, and then they go through the Kidron Valley, and they'd come up here to the Mount of Olives, right about here, to the Garden of Gethsemane. And then that's the path up the Mount of Olives. So they've got a pretty good walk. So this is what I would call a walking sermon. John 16, verses 5 through 15. This is a beautiful walking sermon about the ministry of the Holy Spirit, um, about Satan's coming, uh, Jesus's joy, about the resurrection. So we're here in this great sermon. So part of the sermon takes place in the upper room, and then the sermon is continued as they walk in the way. The promises of answered prayer, all of these things in John 14 and John 15 are in the upper room, and then part of John 15 and John 16, we are now in John 17, we are now walking in the way. Now, he's still on the way to walking to Jerusalem, walking to Gethsemane. And this is where the great prayer takes place. Now, see, sometimes we always think Jesus was sitting down someplace. Now, we don't know that they didn't pause for a, a few minutes to relax along the way. But this whole beautiful high priestly prayer. So this is a walking prayer. They're still on their way to Gethsemane. This is a walking prayer. Now, I've always been a person who liked to walk and pray, so I, I appreciate that Jesus did this whole walking prayer thing through John chapter 17, and you can read all of that, and you should read John 14, 15, and 16 today, all right? And now we get to the Garden of Gethsemane, and that's where the prayer continues. Now, we're going to Quit moving over the long the sermon in John 14, 15, and 16, and the beautiful prayer in John 17. Part of these took place in the upper room. Part of these took place as they walked. But now they arrive in the Garden of Gethsemane, right there at the foot of the Mount of Olives. And when he had spoken these words, he went out with his disciples across the brook Kidron, where there was a garden, and he and his disciples entered. Okay? across the brook Kidron. So he crosses the Kidron Valley and comes there into the Garden of Gethsemane. 
And he went out, and as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives, and the disciples followed him. This was his custom. This was his place of prayer. Okay? This was his place of prayer. And when he came to the place, he said to them, Pray that you may not enter temptation. Now, why did he say that? Because his arrest was about to occur. He said, pray. He said, I, I know what's coming. I, I know these guys are coming to arrest me. Now, he didn't tell them that. He just said, pray that you will not enter temptation. And then he withdrew from them about a stone's throw. So pick up a stone and throw it, and that's about how far he separated himself. Praying. Saying, Father, if you are willing, you could remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Now, we teach you about this in detail in the uh, School of the Cross. So I won't belabor the point. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him. I love this. This is one of my wows. There are going to be times when we lack the strength to do what needs to be done. And I just believe that angels are ministering spirits sent to us. The Bible teaches us that. And I believe that there are times that the angels will come and strengthen you. We've heard so many testimonies during this COVID-19 thing of people laying in the hospital room. Some say, Pastor, I couldn't see him, but it's like his presence came into the room. And all of a sudden, I could breathe. And from that moment forward, strength began to come back in my body. Other people would say, Pastor, I don't know if I was dreaming. I don't want to be weird. But Pastor, I wanted to give up. I just couldn't breathe anymore. I wanted to give up. And all of a sudden, I think it was an angel. I don't know. But all of a sudden, strength came into my body. But more than that, Pastor, Strength came into my will. I wanted to live. And I was determined to live. See, I, I really believe that angels, angels will come to us. And this angel appeared to him. Not to anybody else. To him. And strengthened him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. So, how did he use his strength? How did he use new strength? He prayed more earnestly. And his sweat became like drops of blood falling to the ground. Uh, again, we teach you that in School of the Cross. And when he arose from prayer, he came to his disciples and found them sleeping for sorrow. One of the great truths you need to understand Grief wears you out. Have you ever seen a child cry themselves to sleep? Point made. Grief wears you out. And he said to them, why are you sleeping? Rise and pray that you will not enter into temptation. Now this went on three times. Now we finish up today. We skipped over the great sermon in... And remember to notice the verse that says, and, and then they went out. 
because otherwise you'll get confused by some of the things later. We skipped over the great sermon in the upper room and then the sermon along the way to Gethsemane and then the great prayer that Jesus prayed as he walked with the disciples to Gethsemane. Make sure you read all of those carefully today because there's incredible, incredible truth there. All right, we're going to see you again tonight, 7 o'clock, as we continue School of the Cross.